The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, from oil prices and no pipeline to NAFTA going down the pipeline, it's been a roller coaster of a year economically for our province and country. Joining me for a look back at 2018 and some help sorting it all out is our old friend Todd Hirsch, Chief Economist with ATB Financial. Todd, such a pleasure to see your name on hold again. Well, nice to be uh, nice to be back on the show, Andrew. <laughs> Always a pleasure. <laughs> All right, uh, let's hit some of the high points, if we could, of course. And we just talked to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and one of yeah. the points they brought up was the purchase of the TMX pipeline. Uh, your thoughts on that and how it unfolded? Well, it was one of those things I don't think anyone, maybe most of all, Justin Trudeau, actually wanted Ottawa and the federal government to be purchasing a pipeline. So it wasn't great in that respect, but it was one of those, under the circumstances, it's probably the best outcome. And I know probably the Taxpayers Federation people disagree with me on that. But it, we had we had painted ourselves as a country, we've painted ourselves into this corner where that was really the only practical solution if we have any chance of getting that pipeline going at all. So it was one of those, not great to see, but under the circumstances, probably the best outcome. Well, you'll be pleased to learn, Todd, that that is almost word for word what the director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation said. Well, then I guess maybe I agree with him after all. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Uh, So now this uh, story I thought was done, but according to tweets I read this morning from President uh, Trump, perhaps it isn't. But we replaced NAFTA with the USMCA trade deal uh, that Im- that involved U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Um, but I see Trump uh, tweeting this morning that if he doesn't get his wall, he might throw that agreement out and close down <laughs> the border. So uh, who's well, to say? I mean, with with Mr. Trump, you have to laugh or you cry. Like, there's just. I don't know. I, I mean, at some point, we actually might miss Donald Trump being president because everything will be so dull. Everything that a president says, we can sort of count on that. So we live in this topsy-turvy world where, you know, what the president tweets out on any given day changes things um, in some cases quite dramatically. So, yeah, this year in, in fall, we did see the completion of a trade agreement. But I do remember at the time there was a little wager going on down here in Calgary among some economists uh, trying to pick the date at which Donald Trump will overrule the agreement that he just, you know, agreed to. Well, if, so, if anybody had the 28th. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go back and look. Someone yeah. won 20 bucks, I'm sure. <laughs> but it was a big news story for Canada. But as, as you're sort of alluding to, uh, this, this story is not over and it's probably going to keep unfolding. I hope it's not unraveling in 2019, but it will uh, almost certainly be a a story continuing to play out uh, next year. Okay, now one of the questions we always asked you when we had you on the show was about oil prices, and there's more than one oil price, you know, which our listeners often point out, but um, the one we look at is uh, Texas crude, right? Yeah, West Texas Intermediate is the North American benchmark price, and it's the most widely traded price. That's the one that's quoted in the news. It, it, it's a, a very deep market of, of trading. So that's the, that's the benchmark, and that's one that's always quoted. But, of course, most listeners would now know that's not the price we receive here in Alberta. Right. Uh, the Western Canadian price is the price we receive, and that gap between the two has been a big news story uh, for Alberta this year. And what exactly did oil do over the course of the year, and where is it now? 
Well, it was it was a strange year for oil because throughout most of uh, the first half of 2018, it was this gradual climb higher. And I think sometime around September or maybe early October, it reached about $77 U.S. a barrel. And at that point, you could hear all the pundits saying it's going to 100 or it's at least going to 90. You know, and that none of that seemed very unrealistic when it was at 77. Mm-hmm. But then uh, shortly after uh, October, it, it sort of did a nosedive. And in the last week or so, it was around $42 a barrel. So the the global markets or the North American markets anyway have uh, responded to this uh, oversupply and also uh, bigger questions about uh, global economic, the health of the global economy. And in fact, it's turned into a, a weaker demand story. So very suddenly in, in the span of the last, uh, I would say, two and a half months, uh, we've seen that West Texas benchmark price really fall back down to that $40, $45 range where it's at right now. Interesting. So the Premier announces curtailment of oil production in 2019. So I want to understand this mm-hmm. uh, because you curtail production in order to increase its supply and demand. So you curtail production yeah. and prices go up. But that assumes that Alberta, specifically in Canada in general, is a big enough producer to affect those prices. Is that is that so? Well, it is so because even though Canada and Alberta, maybe specifically, we are not that the, well, Canada is that the number one exporter of, of crude oil to the United States. The United States more or less self-sufficient in oil now, but not all oil is created equally. And there's only certain refineries and certain markets in the United States that can handle and process heavy oil. So if the heavy oil is not available, it's not like they can just substitute in that light shale oil in the U.S. They need heavy oil. So it's one of these things, not all oil is created the same. Canadian heavy oil to those specific refineries, yeah, by curtailing production, even the 8, 8.7% or whatever it was, is enough to drive that price up because there's only specific buyers and, and refineries in the U.S. that can take it. You know, uh, we're almost out of time, regrettably. 3.30 is such a bad time to have you on. <laughs> I should have thought of that. Uh, but I did want to get your you know, input, and I know you work for uh, Ground Corporation, but uh, the $1.6 billion bailout, I don't know what else to call it, that was uh, um, sent down from Ottawa, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's your take on that? And, and that's a sort well, of a trickle-down effect idea. Yeah. You know, well, it is, it's a very, it's a politically explosive question. But I think, uh, you know, had had Mr. Morneau or the federal government even said to Alberta, you know what, we understand the industry's in trouble right now. We've been listening. We, we hear what you're saying. What we're going to do is $1.6 billion to help the industry. And we are going to put a pause on Bill 69, on mm-hmm. C-69. Not saying we're going to scrap it, but we're going to pause and we're going to revisit in 2019. I think even had they done that, I think the industry in the province would have felt like, okay, finally you're at least listening. Yes. But the $1.6 billion, I mean, that doesn't really solve the problem. Right. You know, it's it's not even a band-aid. It's, it's more like, I don't know what the metaphor would be, but it's it's not enough to really convince Albertans that, that Ottawa has understood the problems in, in, the, pro, in the province, uh, specifically around the, the pipeline transportation. 
That's a great answer, Todd. Uh, and you know what? That's all the time I have. Todd, it was good okay. hearing your voice again. Um, I know we said uh, when we got rid of the weekly segment that we'll check in with you more often, but we need to check in with you more often. Let's do it. Let's, let's do it in 2019. That's our uh, New Year's resolution, my friend. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. Thanks, Andrew. Take care. All right, we've been uh, playing Jamie Tawill's uh, four-part series, a look back on the headlines in 2018. Uh, he's the morning anchor at AM 640 in Toronto. Let's uh, listen to part three. You're hearing from the journalists who covered the news that made headlines and captured our hearts. Our next story focusing on the thousands of people affected by the devastating wildfires that engulfed the interior of British Columbia. Summers filled with flames and smoke have become the new normal here in B.C., but 2018 will go down as the worst wildfire season on record. 1.25 million hectares went up in flames, costing the province hundreds of millions of dollars to fight it. Now, setting 2018 apart from the 2017 wildfire season, which was also a record, by the way, was the vast area burned. And although the human toll wasn't quite as great, the entire province felt the effects, with the smoke reaching all the way across the country. But the effects were most dramatic in Prince George, and reporter Richard Zussman and cameraman Al Cohen were there right in the thick of it. By the time we got to about 7.45, 8 o'clock, it was this eerie red sky throughout the area. And we headed back towards the hotel, and right around 9 o'clock, it was pitch black in a way that the lights automatically turned on in the streets and people were confused about what time it is. It was almost surreal to see something like that. Never in my entire life, other than maybe watching a lunar eclipse on TV, had I ever seen day turn into night that fast. It was truly surreal. Uh, those memories will always remind me of how tough it is for the people in those regions uh, who are chased from their homes because of the fires. But the incredible part of this too is the resiliency of so many people who tried to go about their everyday lives like it was normal. A perfect example of that came to us on a tip that there was a group of guys who were not going to let the smoky eclipse spoil their golf game. This was 9.30 in the morning, yet it looks more like midnight. You can't tee off because you don't know where, where the ball is, you know? It's like you can see out there uh, 200 yards and that's about it. It's one of the most enduring images from another record-setting wildfire season. And although we saw a lot of smoke in Vancouver too, it was nothing like that August day that turned day to night in Prince George. September the 2nd marked the 20th anniversary of the crash of Swiss Air Flight 111 into the ocean off of Nova Scotia's coast. All 229 people on board that plane were killed, so of course that day changed the lives of their family and their friends. It also changed the lives of many thousands of Nova Scotians. I remember clearly the drive home, how quiet it was, because normally we're all chit-chatting about this and that and everything, but it was a very somber uh, return back to the fire hall. Growing up in Saskatchewan, I didn't know a lot about the story of Flight 111. I'd heard about it in the news, but I really didn't have any sense for the impact that it had on Nova Scotia as a province, and especially Peggy's Cove. When we arrived here, we started seeing debris in the water. Um, and then as we got closer, it was just a carpet of debris. Anything that flowed, it was floating. And it was a story that I, you know, I was involved with for better part of five years. It brought back a lot of, a lot of memories, some good, some bad. 
Interviewing Richard and so many other people who were touched by this tragedy, it's clear just how widespread and how deep the impact has been. Even all these years later, there are people in Nova Scotia and elsewhere who are still struggling with what happened. Other people have been able to find hope. The goodness of people to one another, I think. I think that was, that was what made an impression on me. It's important to remind ourselves that in, the, in times of great disaster, in times of great strife, the best in people comes forward. One of the most poignant and emotional interviews that I did for all of the stories that we worked on for Swiss Air was with Claire Mortimer. Her father and her stepmother both died in the crash, and I think she sums up the impact of this story really well. There is something about this that affected so many people so deeply. It wasn't, it was more than just a plane crash. I don't know how else to put it. And now we turn our attention once again to the city of Toronto. On a warm spring afternoon, everything changed in an instant for a busy stretch of road in the city's north end. One woman said to me, it really hit me. She, she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, this changes everything. Chaos and destruction on the streets of North Toronto. A van plows into a crowd of pedestrians on sidewalks near Young and Finch. Anybody in this path, they were flying in the air. Unfortunately, uh, we have uh, 10 people that have succumbed to their injuries, and we have 15 that are in various hospitals across the city. These are not the kinds of things that we expect to happen in this city. We hope they don't happen anywhere uh, in the world, but we especially uh, don't expect them to happen in Toronto. Uh, when I arrived, there were ambulances everywhere. Uh, and the disturbing part of that scene was that there were victims everywhere. It began to change for me when Jeremy Cohn came on the show. Tell us where you are and what you see. Yeah, hey guys, uh, you know, I cover a lot of breaking news and this is, uh, this is different. I rushed out, jumped in a cab and just told the cab driver to drop me as close as possible to Young Street. I walked a few steps and I, I saw chaos. I knew something was going on, but I was... I was not prepared for what I was going to see next. I walked just a few steps, and right here, a body. This man who likely woke up this morning like the rest of us, thinking it's going to be a beautiful day, a beautiful day to enjoy after the weather that we've had, and a man who will not see another day. It really clicked when uh, we saw the first aerial footage come in, and just the enormity of the scene. To go from Finch all the way down to Shepherd, that is a large area. So as soon as you saw the chopper viz, it really started to say, okay, this is, it appears intentional. We have under arrest Alex Manassian. That police officer, uh, Ken Lamb. Come on, get down! Who now, that, that video went viral, and um, it could have gone a lot of different ways, but it didn't. The suspect was not killed and the suspect was arrested. It becomes a story about yourselves as opposed to a story about someone in another place. It, it is a story about your immediate family, your immediate community. Yes, this was a, a horrible, dark day in our city, but it was also a day that we saw people coming together. Personally speaking, being at the memorial at uh, Olive Square, um, it helped me 
come to terms with what happened. It was comforting to be with other residents, to hear their comments, to see their words written on pieces of Bristol board or in books. And um, I think through the strength of everybody in the city, we all helped each other. And now to a story that captured worldwide attention, a royal wedding for the ages. Windsor Castle will be the venue for the fairy tale wedding. When we first walked into the set, I remember thinking this is a really great office building. This is really great, but where's the set? And then we went up like uh, a couple flights on the elevator and we walked out and I'm like, okay, this is a really great office building. Where's the set? And then you turn the corner and all of a sudden you had transformed this balcony into an amazing set. Welcome, everybody. Please say hello. The scale of this was enormous. From ET Canada. Welcome to Entertainment Tonight Canada, everybody. The Morning Show, Global National, dozens of radio and television hits across Canada. Redmond Shannon joins us live now from Windsor. Well, the mood is uh, among so many people. More than 100,000 people who came here is pure joy. Oh, and we also had a five and a half hour live special the day of the wedding. Harry, I give you this ring. As each day passed when we were in Windsor, you could feel the excitement building. More and more people were arriving into Windsor. Security was being ramped up, and the excitement in the city was palpable. You can see the crowd here who's very excited. Watching Megan come out of the car, I got so nervous for her, and I remember thinking, what is she feeling in her stomach? Because I know what I felt like on my wedding day, but she looked so calm. And it was just, that struck me. The crowds were so big. A number of times I lost my cameraman. Thank goodness he would carry his camera atop of his head, and that's the only way I would find him in the crowds. With like nine hours for 50, what, five, 10 seconds, it was totally worth it. We were literally like screaming. We were like, Canada loves you. Ah! where they looked right into the camera for so it's a picture. <laughs> We'd actually been up pretty early to carve out our spot along the procession route and been standing there for maybe six or seven hours and just minutes before the couple was supposed to come past us a police officer came up and asked us to move. He said we couldn't be there with our camera. And I think he just saw the look of devastation on my face, as though I was a child who just found out Santa Claus wasn't real or something. And he took pity on us. He allowed us to stay put, and we got the moment. That is Global National for this Saturday from Windsor. We leave you tonight with more of the stunning images from today's royal wedding. When the lights went out on our Windsor set the final night, we realized how much we had accomplished teams on both sides of the ocean working together, I was very proud of them. I've worked at Global for 18 years, and to get to be able to join my family at ET Canada with the family I've always had at Global together to work on this project was really epic, like it really was. But we've learned a great deal too about Meghan Markle. We all knew we were watching something really special unfold. All right, I see a Canadian flag over here. When I was talking to people, lining the procession, meeting with Canadians who had made the trip to watch this, we all knew we were watching and witnessing history. A lot of them said the same thing, that there was just so much bad news in the world 
recently that they felt that they needed to be here, that they wanted to believe in a fairy tale royal love story and to be a part of it, even just for one day. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.